0: What's up Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here. I'm back and ready to roll after taking a week off from the pod during Thanksgiving last week, and apologies for anyone who's sitting by their phone anxiously awaiting the new episode, as I'm sure you guys do every week. Anyway, the Raiders are looking to keep their two-game winning streak alive against the Chargers this Sunday, and we've got a lot to go over, so let's do it. I'll kick things off with some roster moves as the Raiders place cornerback Anthony Averett on injured reserve for the second time this year with a toe injury, which will put him out until at least week 17, so it looks like Averett's season is done, and he is a free agent in March after signing just a one-year deal last offseason. In a corresponding move, the Raiders activated cornerback Tyler Hall from the practice squad. Hall has been active for the last two weeks and has played pretty well, getting a sack against Denver and allowing just six receiving yards in two games. He's even got more playing time than Seattle than veterans Amik Robertson and Sidney Jones, so I'd expect to see Hall play a lot as a nickel corner this Sunday, especially if Nate Hobbs isn't activated. More on that later. While it was somewhat lost in the offensive explosion, Las Vegas's pass rush as a whole had one of its best games of the season against the Seahawks. Per usual, Max Crosby had a big game with one and a half sacks, but it was the pressure from the collective group that really stood out as defensive tackles Bilal Nichols got a half sack, and Andrew Billings got two halves to make a hole, while Chandler Jones got some pressure as well. Josh McDaniels was asked about the group's performance as a whole and had this to say, We kind of talked a lot last week about the pressure in the middle was really going to be important for us in general, and I thought Jerry Tillery and Andrew Billings and Bilal Nichols They all kind of showed up at one point or another in the pass rush, McDaniel said. Everybody focuses so much on our ends and deservedly so, but I think the inside guys being able to create some pressure or even the wall that's built inside so that the quarterback can't go forward and then get out of the way from our two ends, I think that all kind of plays together. As I said before, those guys are all learning how to play with one another, whether it's the four of them in a pass rush or a game on one side or another, that's something we keep working on because I think we can make progress in that area. It definitely showed up on the film when we got middle pressure on Geno Smith. Those are some of our best plays. Last week was certainly a step in the right direction for the Raiders defensive line. Now it's just a matter of keeping the momentum going against the Chargers this week. Moving on to this weekend's game, recently inducted Hall of Fame and Raiders wide receiver Cliff Branch will receive his Hall of Fame ring this Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. Branch, who passed away in 2019, was enshrined in Canton, Ohio this summer, and his sister, Elaine Anderson, will be accepting the ring on Branch's behalf at the ceremony. This is big news because in the past, the Hall of Fame has not handed out rings to the families of deceased players. However, in an initiative led by Raiders owner Mark Davis and Virginia Madden, John Madden's wife, the Hall changed their policy, allowing Anderson to receive the ring and Cliff to be enshrined properly. If you're going to the game, make sure to check out the ceremony for Branch at halftime. Alright, the rest of the news is just a bunch of short, quick hitting stories, so we'll go ahead and get into a longer news roundup for the week. Since we were just talking about the Hall of Fame, I'll pick that right back up as former Raiders punter Shane Leckler was left off the modern era semifinal list for 2023, meaning he won't be getting inducted in August. Only 28 players made the list as Andre Johnson, Darrell Revis, Steve Smith Sr., and DeMarcus Ware were some of the notable players left. On a more positive note, Josh Jacobs was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, which should come as no surprise after his 300-plus yard performance against the Seahawks. Jacobs is also the first player of the, for the Silver and Black to be named the Player of the Week this season and became the NFL's leading rusher after last week, and all I have to say is, cha-ching! On a similar note, Max Crosby is getting some love from the bookmakers when it comes to the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Cowboys linebacker Micah Parsons is still the heavy favorite to win the award, but Crosby is tied for the fourth lowest odds with Chief Defensive Tackle Chris Jones at a 25-1 bet, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Crosby was also named as the Raiders nominee for the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award last week. Courtesy of Raider Nation's favorite Associated Press writer, Josh Dubow, The Raiders' offense leads the NFL with just four points per drive following a turnover this season, and the Raiders' offense became just the fourth team in the Super Bowl era to have over 275 rushing and passing yards in the same game, joining the 2012 49ers, 1986 Bengals, and 1978 Cowboys. Tom Pellicero of the NFL media released the fan vote leaders for the Pro Bowl for each position in each conference, and unfortunately, no Raiders made the list. Derrick Henry is leading the AFC running backs with about 76,000 votes. Tyreek Hill leads AFC wide receivers with, at about 83 And Vaughn Miller has a top spot for defensive ends with about thousand votes. Hill ranks fifth among all players regardless of position or conference, while Justin Jefferson has fetched the most votes so far with over 90,000. Vegas has also hosted a few workouts over the last few weeks. According to Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson, kicker Dominic Everly, long snappers Brian Coorey, and Steven Wortel, wide receiver Calvin Turner, and punter Colby Wadman, both Everly and Wadman had had brief stints with the silver and black in the past. I also have a couple of updates on a couple of former Raiders for you guys. Wide receiver Brian Edwards, who the Raiders traded along with the 7th round pick to the Falcons this past offseason, has been waived by Atlanta. Edwards ended up clearing waivers inside of the Chiefs practice squad. Safety Jonathan Abram's stay in Green Bay only lasted a few weeks as the Packers waived Abram this week, however, the Seahawks claimed the 2019 first round pick the following day. And that'll do it for our news for the week. On to the injury report, and I'll start things off by talking about what I alluded to earlier, and that is Nate Hobbs has been designated a return from IR. Hobbs still hasn't been activated yet. But he has not at least been considered limited in practice all week and it seems like all signs are pointing to him making his return this Sunday. As for the rest of the injury report, I'll start with the Raiders DNPs as per usual. They only had two this week, defensive lineman Kendall Vickers back and tight end Jesper Horstead who hasn't practiced all week with a concussion. Both guys are backups so if they can't go it shouldn't be too much of an impact on the game, but I'd expect to see Tashaun Bauer fill in with their Vickers and Jacob Hollister will replace Horstead if either can't go. The following players were limited on Thursday. Defensive tackle Andrew Billings, Fibula, which is good news because Billings didn't finish last week's game and the coaching staff said he avoided any major injuries. Running back Brandon Bolden, calf. Fellow running back Josh Jacobs, coincidentally also with a calf, but Jacobs being limited is actually good news as he almost couldn't play last week in Seattle and there were rumors that he might not practice all week this week. And then there's linebacker Denzel Perryman with a wrist. The following guys were listed on the report as full participants. Linebacker Darian Butler, elbow. Quarterback Derek Carr, back. Safety Daron Harmon, shoulder. Offensive tackle Colton Miller, also a shoulder. Guard Alex Bars, knee. And Lester Cotton, calf. As for the Chargers, it's looking like they're going to be down three starters, a center Corey Lindsay, offensive tackle Trey Pipkins, and wide receiver Mike Williams haven't practiced yet this week and that'll do it for this week's injury report. Here we go, Mailback time. As your weekly reminder, if you'd like to have your questions answered on a future podcast, either tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com, adamholder95 on Twitter, or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com via email. First question, with the team winning a couple of games, how does that change your draft work? Still may be a bit early, but it seems like most of the quote unquote top talent Would be gone at least if the team wins more. So, as far as changing my draft work, it won't really mess with too much. I kind of I I do draft for the Bleacher Report that I'm going to have to do regardless. And then, um, you know, as far as the Raiders draft stuff, I usually don't start that until after the season anyway. We have a a good idea of what the draft's going to look like. So, it won't change anything on my end as far as, you know, your, your comment here about the top talent. Obviously, yeah, if they're going to fall out of the top 10, which they are dangerously close to now at number at pick number nine, they're definitely not going to be able to get the the Jalen Carter or the Will Anderson be one of the uh, beneficiaries of that sweepstakes, though they do have a ton of picks if they want to trade up, um, if that's the route they want to go. But I do think there is a good amount of guys that are a good amount of defensive tackles and edge rushers that they could get also in like the middle of the round. Um, Isaiah Foskey comes to mind. Brian bressy comes to mind. Um, let's see, Tyree Wilson's another guy from Texas Tech that I think that uh, could be a really good fit for the Raiders. Um, so I think they can still get a decent talent or decent talent in the first round if they stay within the the low teens. But yeah, they keep winning, and they end up getting to uh, 8, 9, 7, 10, whatever we keep joking about over on TDL that they're destined for. It's going to be slimmer pickings, but I do like the, the depth of, on the defensive line and I do kind of like the the second and fringe first round guys that there are at d-tackle and edge in this year's class so there is some hopeful that they can still find at least an impact player but as far as you know the the big names like the Jalen Carter the Will Anderson that a lot of people have been trying to will into existence myself included over the last few weeks might be out of the question if they win really one more game this season if if they want to not that anyone cares about it with the, with the draft still what six months out or whatever it is. But yeah, if they, if they win one more game, they're going to put themselves in a tough spot draft-wise to, uh, to finish in that top five. Question two, can the Raiders afford to re-sign Josh Jacobs and also improve the defense for a playoff run? And I had a similar question, which was, is Josh Jacobs pricing himself out of the Raiders? So to give you guys some hard numbers, Um, over the cap.com projects the Raiders to have $35 million in cap space without resigning anyone who's going to be a free agent. So that also means they're going to project them to have about 15 million in effective cap space, which is basically OTG, LTC, excuse me, projection after the team signs at least 51 players and the rookie class and all that stuff. So the effective cap space is something to really pay a little bit more attention to because that's what they're going to be left with, um, when again they have a full 53 man roster or close to that. So, they do have enough money to sign Jacobs. Obviously, the 35 million is going to be well under whatever he's going to get. He's probably going to get 16 to 17 million. Christian McCaffrey's the the highest paid running back at about 16 and some change right now. With the way Jacobs is playing, he's going to surpass that uh, on the open market. So, I think that's what you're looking at, and that's where that 15 million effective cap space number comes into play. If they get if Jacobs gets 16, 17 million, obviously they they'll be able to get under the cap and be able to keep him around. But kind of like what you were pointing out here, with can they improve the defense for a playoff run after re-signing Josh Jacobs? It's going to take some cap wizardry to be able to do that. Um, and that's one of my biggest concerns with them re-signing Jacobs. Is if you think about this on offense, if they re-sign Jacobs at seventeen million, you'll have Devonte at. I think like 30 million or whatever a year, whatever he's he signed for. Darren Waller at 17 million, Hunter Renfro at 14, and then if you're bringing Derek Carr back, 40 million dollars. That's a lot of money to spend on the offensive side of the ball and at offensive skill positions um, for a defense that needs a ton of work, that needs a ton of playmakers outside of Max Crosby and Nate Hobbs when Nate Hobbs comes back. So that's kind of my fear with the Jacobs situation is it's going to be tough with the way the cap is right now. Again, who knows? Maybe Dave Ziegler's got some wizardry that he's going to be able to pull off in the offseason. I'm not a cap all just to be able to tell you guys about that, but that's kind of the, the problem that they're going to have. And I hate to circle back to this, but if you're going to spend that much money on your offensive skill players and remind you, you still got to address the offensive line too, right? We can't ignore that. Then, you might have to get rid of one of these skill guys that you that you just signed to a big big deal. And, and that could be tough because everyone I just listed plays a more valuable position than Jacobs does at running back. Now, Jacobs might be the one that's going to transcend the argument because he's playing phenomenally right now and might be one of those few outliers of the, uh, the RBs don't matter argument, if you will. So maybe you do bring him back. But again, you got to figure out with... Where you got to figure out what you're going to do on the offensive line, and yes, you have a ton of draft picks, but you can use all those on defense and make sure that and hope those rookies or at least a handful of those rookies end up panning out, so you can have some playmakers. That's going to be the tough decision, and this is the uh, this is the unfortunate part of not uh, picking up his fifth year option, which is obviously looking like the wrong decision because that would have been at least eight million, a lot more justifiable. But to answer your question, to circle back to your question. The Raiders can financially, they can make it work, it's just going to be a lot harder to improve the defense and the offensive line, two of their biggest uh, um, needs going into the offseason, if they bring back Jacobs and everyone else. So, I would expect to see some sort of tough decisions and a little bit, maybe a little bit of a fat trimming in the offseason. Number three, any way the Raiders can keep Moreau after this season, or should they draft a tight end? So... Moreau, I don't think, is going to be terribly expensive, and this obviously ties in pretty well last with our last question, seeing as we just went over the salary cap situation. So the Raiders can definitely afford to bring Moreau back. That being said, what we were just talking about with the cap space, especially if they're gonna keep Josh Jacobs back. I don't know how much makes sense it makes to keep Moreau and Darren Waller. Um so I kind of get the feeling they'll probably let Moreau walk or they try and get out of Waller's contract we'll we'll see but I don't want to open up that can of worms just yet so I don't know if they'll necessarily bring Moreau back or if there'll be a big urgency to put bring him back I think they can probably get away with uh just drafting somebody and the Rangers do have Jesper Horstead who I think played played well and shown some signs of development he was a he's a converted college wide receiver so it will it's normal for to expect him to kind of progress over the time comes over uh over time I should say and maybe he'll be able to go and step into that tight end two role they also have Jacob Hollister on the roster who was uh with McDaniels in New England and I think McDaniels for some reason likes him quite a bit because he's been on the team I think twice now so they have options for their second tight end and including drafting somebody too um so with that don't think Moreau will be back unless it's for a pretty cheap deal. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he wants to go be the guy somewhere else and be the starter somewhere else and wants to leave because um, he has played solid. He has been solid and maybe looking for a bigger opportunity with his next uh, with his next contract. Um, and that might be elsewhere, especially if the, the Raiders are going to keep Waller around. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. As your weekly reminder, the Raiders kick off at 125 this Sunday on CBS, so make sure to tune in. Thank you guys, always, as always, for listening. Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on Twitter, at mholder95, and follow Silver and Black Pride. One real quick update about next week. Not sure exactly when I'm going to be able to get the pod out to you guys, with the game being on Thursday night. Obviously a little bit tighter deadline for me, a tighter timeline. So not exactly sure when that's going to go out, but just keep your phone close, turn those notifications on, and you'll get that little notification once we drop the episode. Other than that, until next time.